RadioInfluence.com. We are back for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvan. As always, appreciate you taking time out of your day to download, listen to this episode of the podcast. If you haven't been listening to it on the podcast platforms or if you're watching it on YouTube, much appreciate if you're watching on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. Hit that thumbs up. That really does help us out a lot as well. And of course, leave a comment in the comment section. We always appreciate those comments. Always see those comments come rolling in. So I do appreciate that. And uh, we are here to talk about everything going on in this crazy world of mixed martial arts, Daniel. And, you know, I, I've got a, a, a document up here of just all the things that have happened in mixed martial arts over the last couple of days. Like, I don't, like, in this document, I don't even have the fact of Mackenzie Dern going out there and doing what she did against Angela Hill. Didn't see that fight going the way it did, but man, she looked great. But man, there's Dude, so you many- better have you, I swear to God, if at the very top of that document, you don't have Carlos Ferreira and Gilbert Urbina from the Rio Grande Valley getting victories, I am going to walk off this set right now. I believe both of my boys were dogs, man, and they won. They finished their fights, highlights, and, and you're telling me you don't have Urbina and Ferreira on the top of your document? I, I do not have that on top of my document, but when, when I was watch, but when I was watching the fights, I was like, oh, man, good good day in the Rio Grande. And, uh, oh, man, what a scary knockout of Michael Johnson there, man. Diego Fajaya, that, that was – you talk about just one of those scary-type knockouts – that's one of those knockouts that you just go, man, I, I hope Michael Johnson takes some time off because that was a scary knockout. Oh, you're totally right. That was certainly, whoa, that was reminiscent maybe of some of those knockouts I saw Jens Pulver suffer back in the day. And where it's so violent and brutal when you start to think about how long they've been competing. Um, the, you know, Before we d- dive into it, I just want to also use the time when we reflect back on last week's fights to say, holy crap. Last week there were fights and Chase Hooper won a fight because of his stand up. What? And, and what? The vol- Let's just put that in the time capsule. Dude, I mean he was just throwing volume out there and um he could get the fight to the ground. I, I would say I, I had the uh I had the under one and a half takedowns on Chase Hooper on prize picks, and boy, I was sweating that thing out as he that was cash, he, right. It cat it cashed, but I mean, oh I was I was sweating that one out as and especially when he got he finally got that takedown with like a minute to go in the third round. I was just like, keep this thing on the ground. Do not get up. Do not. Get, I mean, I was. I mean, sweating that thing out. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like me wow. watching the NBA last night of uh, you know. Okay, come on, Jalen Brown. You're a pan, a fantasy point scorer per minute. Well, you know, start to score some goddamn points. But uh, oh, but man. yeah, yeah, it's uh, he's checked out. Jalen Brown is is more checked out. Uh, is so checked out. Even though they got the big W last night, but uh, yeah, it's not looking good, right? You know, at one point you thought they were going to win a championship. At one point we thought Edmund Shabazian was going to win a middleweight championship, and well, things just aren't working out too too much nowadays. Dude, and I heard someone else they were talking about Edmund Shabazian, and it's like you forget how many fights this guy now has had in the UFC, and you know he went through that bad slump. You know he went over, he moved his training from um, you know California to Vegas, and you thought kind of we were going to see maybe a little bit of change in him, but man, still a guy that's still developing, and you know I also think it's one of those things, and and Chase Hooper I think is another prime example of this of. You know, getting to the UFC so young is not always a, the best thing. You know, there, there's obviously going to be 
you know, potential exceptions to the rule uh, of fighters who get to UFC so young, you know, Cain Velasquez, I think, is one that, that sticks out to me of, you know, didn't have many pro fights when, when he got to the UFC, but there, there's something about developing your skills and understanding where it needs to be. I mean, I mean look, you're, you're doing your professional wrestling thing. You know, you're not hopping into WWE, AEW. You're, you're, you're working your skills. I mean, oh, I know no. you had how the match go last weekend. I had two matches last week. They both went good. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I lost both of them, but I can tell you right now, there were plenty of problems on my end. And if I was in WWE or AEW tomorrow, I would do so bad, I would retire immediately. <laughs> so it's important for me to get those skills. And that's a five to seven year process. You know, mixed martial arts can be a little more different than professional wrestling. Some people in pro wrestling are naturals, just like some people in MMA are naturally gifted like Cain Velasquez, um, or they have that foundation of pre-MMA they can rely on, like Bo Nickel yeah. or Kurt Angle in professional wrestling. But for someone like me, it's going to take five to ten years to even think about sniffing a major promotion. But, Jason, I had a lot of fun. Traveled three hours for my show on Saturday. The other one on Sunday was right in my backyard. And um, I'm proud of myself, and I'm thankful for my opponents. But, uh, yeah, man, we started this podcast a long time ago, and now here I am wrestling in, in the square circle on the weekends. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was a fun weekend for me. You know, nice little relaxing weekend. And uh, already, I mean, it's, it's, it's a busy week. But, man, you, you talk about, like, as I look at this document of, of various topics to talk about here, and, and we could literally start wherever. You know, we, we got, obviously, the Dana White versus Francis Ngannou saga continues. I, I think that maybe our thoughts on that may be a little different than some other things because I thought Dana White was speaking a lot of truths. But also, you know, Francis Ngannou's rebuttal to Dana White on Twitter was very spot on. So we got that. John Nash over at Bloody Elbow, he's got a story up about the UFC revenues in 2022 and... You know, I mean, look, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about it, but, you know, the thing that obviously sticks out to me is that the fact of, you know, we're now at fire salaries being at only 13%. We can talk about that. Um, I, I want to talk about some media bias that are out there, and, and this is a reality. I know I'm biased. Everyone in the MMA media is biased. So we, there, but there's uh, two uh, cases I do want to talk about that. We got, we got a UFC fighter talking about how he only had $7 in his bank account. Leading up to a fight, which you knew that was going to be the headline once he said that. And, of course, putting out uh, you know the screenshot of his Bank of America account. Uh, we got Don Davis basically taking a, a little nudge at Dana White. And um, Dana White kind of responds to that in an interview with Amy Kaplan. We'll talk about that. Speaking of Amy Kaplan. She gets a hundred dollars from Dana White. That, that obviously became a, you know, every, you know, everyone got put their big J hat on. What I mean by that is their big journalism hat. We'll talk about that because I think we're a little bit different. We got the Bellator sell rumors out there. Um, Bellator's got a solid event coming August 11th. Uh, kind of talk about maybe Bellator doesn't know some of the issues between two fires on that card. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. And, and also, uh, last night we learned that UFC 291, which is going to be that July 29th card, uh, well, they got some competition on pay review that night. It's Carver versus Spence. I'm like, damn, that's a boxing fight I've been waiting for. That's going to be an expensive yeah. ass night for me. We got that. Plus, you know, we, we teased it up last week, UFC 300. I've got my pick for it. So, like, I, I think we'll just start with this John Nash story. G incredible story by John Nash talking about the UFC Raptors. But, like, this is my biggest takeaway from that article, and, and it's, it's related to fighter pay only being 13%. 
is it ever going to change? And what I mean by that is, are fighters ever going to sit there and go, WTF? We got to stand up for ourselves. We saw Francis Ngannou stand up for himself, and we see how well it's worked out for him. But like, my biggest takeaway from that is like, remember when you say, "Oh, maybe you know, could we get north of twenty percent?" We're going the other way. I know thirteen percent in those numbers is really crazy. That's a shocking number, right? The norm is a 50-50 split in other major sports. That's the norm of, of, you know, and around that, you know, some it's less, some it's a little more, but it's anywhere from that 40 to 55% split range. We're talking 13%. That's a quarter of what the norm is in other sports industries. So that's an incredibly shocking number. I do think, Jason, that we won't see a fighter's union because there's just a really strong monopoly and fighters won't all agree on that because fighters are focused on being fighters first. And Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work and time and effort to become a high-level mixed martial artist. That's why you got to surround yourself with good advisors that lead you in the right direction and maybe aren't influenced by the UFC. Um, The last thing I'll say is the only people who are going to bargain with the UFC are people with significant leverage or people who have already fulfilled their dream of becoming UFC fighters. Guys like Shane Burgos or Corey Anderson who have had a UFC career and have said, that's nice. Now I want my bag. Mm -hmm. They're going to look up outwards and, and get that bag. And then people like Conor McGregor who have an incredible amount of leverage where they could retire today and live comfortably the rest of their life if they don't spend all their money, which is a big if for Connor. They can bargain with the UFC to get a big piece of that pie but because the UFC wants to be in the Connor McGregor business. But UFC doesn't need to be in the business with any of the fighters that fought on the fight night this past Saturday. For them, they're all replaceable. And that's a big issue for the fighters. So, Jason, to answer your question, the only fighters I see bargaining with the UFC are those with significant leverage or those that are finally satisfied with being known as a UFC fighter. I mean, the one thing about this John Nash story, and, and I'll tell you, it's John Nash does an incredible job of reporting on, on this stuff. And you know, I think one of the things you, you just look at a, of, I mean, look, I think, the best way to describe this is the UFC business is booming. And I think the biggest take one of the other takeaways is the fact of, you know, the UFC is making more money than everybody else in the game combined. When you, when you really think about what they're doing here, it's just, it, it's as I saw, you know, all these things, you know, popping up on my Twitter timeline. Look, I'm not as active on Twitter as I once was, but you know, when, when I check things out on Twitter and, and you see the way people are, are commenting about it, you know, like you, you look at how much sponsorship ha- has gone up for the UFC. And I mean, like every time I, I turn on a UFC event, I, all I can think about is Dana White not wanting fighters to have all these logos on their shorts, but then I just look at that mat and like now we're you can pay to have your name on the mat. Like it's just it's crazy to me. It's just crazy. It's 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 honestly one of the biggest flashpoints in the history of this sport when the UFC made that change. And everyone who was following this sport when it happened will always remember it. But what scares me is once we stop covering this board or you know age out of it maybe people are going to forget that that change happened 
And it's just going to be the norm that fighters don't have that ability to get their own sponsors and whatnot. But to me, that was a huge, huge F you to the fighters and a huge, huge obstacle for fighters having a comfortable living being a professional mixed martial artist because you could make money off your sponsors. And yes, Dana White, a hypocrite, I can't believe it. I mean, I watch all this content in the Connor documentary or everywhere, and I'm like, I thought Dana White is the savior. He literally saved us from COVID. Uh, you know, I, I it's like Dana is a very, very complex individual. There are a lot of things I like about him, and there are a lot of things I don't like that he did or is the, is the front of. And it's not just Dana White, by the way. He is the face for these things. It's not him making all the decisions, but he's the one who takes the heat. He's the mascot of the UFC. He does a whole hell of a lot. He really does behind the scenes. But a lot of this is like, what does Endeavor want? You know, they want the UFC to make a whole crap load of money. So it's not just Dana White. He is the boogeyman. Um, but again, he, he was front and center with some asinine quotes that have aged poorly. And at the end of the day, when you look at 2005 versus 2023, it is absurd that there were more avenues for a UFC fighter to make money then than there is now. Yeah, I mean, and I think it also, it's a sign of, you know, and I think it's how much initiative is there really for the UFC to put on these major fights that as fight fans we want to see, you know. I mean, just look at John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. I mean, they could have they could have easily given both those guys $15 million each and it's not even a big deal. And, and I think that's where sometimes the frustrating thing is. And, and sometimes these fight night cars just go, man, the UFC is just putting on our fights. But, you know, you mentioning about the whole Dana White versus Francis Ngannou uh, back and forth. And I, I don't know if this is ever going to end, you know, the way it is. I, I will tell you this. Brett Okamoto has a really interesting piece up on kind of essentially giving out a timeline of how everything really happened and and more on the the PFL and Ngannou side but the thing that I I found really the most interesting part of this story that's on ESPN.com and actually I had one of our, our listeners DM it to me I was reading it this morning uh really couldn't sleep last night so I was like reading this thing at like 3 30 in the morning but uh towards the end of the article it, it says this the PFL is looking for three things out of this deal primarily the first is for Nganu to begin to aware, bring awareness to its building pay-per-view model, which is an emphasis. To date, the PFL has promoted exactly one event on pay-per-view. It plans on promoting more behind the recent signs of Nganu and professional boxer and influencer Jake Paul. Secondly, it expects Nganu to bring a network of investors, sponsors, and athletes to its PFL Africa brand, which is launched. It was moved up from 2027 to 2025. And the third value Murray and Davis are betting on is by fighters like Cormier and Asanya that the idea that Ngannou's deal is a first of many. And, you know, look, I think that, you know, and, and like when, you know, when Dana White has that comment of like, hey, this deal doesn't make sense to me, I think Dana's looking at it from a business aspect. He's looking at it from a financial aspect. He's looking at it of understanding the type of money that Ngannou has brought to the UFC as heavyweight champion. But I, you, I think you're seeing this vision of the PFL of I, I think they're looking at this of like, hey, we just got we just went out and bought this super nice million dollar home, and we just hope some other million dollar homes want to come live next to us. Yeah, and 
the question is like they don't have a job that can pay off the million dollar home is 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 the is the other part of it but i see it from everyone's point of view i see it from dana's point of view right dana's used to paying people 13 percent of his revenue so he's not used to going above and beyond to put money in a fighter's bank account he is if it's the note boys but i understand what he's saying because financially uh francis is not going to give them the short-term profits on his pay-per-view when you look at how much they're giving him when they're looking at how much they're giving him when he's not going to fight for a year and how much they'll give him and his opponent when they fight on pay-per-view when it's unlikely that they will get a very marketable opponent it's certainly possible because they have a whole lot of time and jason me and you can do a lot in the year until francis fights right but a year Mm -hmm. from now we could both already be bald and ripped because we started working out you never know what we're going to look like a year from now. What's bro, up, man? Bro, I can't go ball with this big dome. Lucky, lucky. I, I'm I'm starting to, you know, my hair is starting to thin when I get out of the shower, so I'm getting pretty sad about it. So let's, uh, let's hopefully we can work on some artificial intelligence to keep the hair on my head. But uh, I'll, I'll say this much. The flip side for the PFL is they are doing exactly what you said making a big investment where maybe they lose short term but they they win long term and i will say that that's one of the ways in which a non-ufc mixed martial arts promotion can maybe one day be really really successful it is overspending bending over backwards and acquiescing to a potential free agent fighter to get that superstar aboard so you get more and more at the end of the day the pfl roster is a lot more interesting today than it was three years ago mm-hmm. and it's trending that way the most interesting thing about the pfl that i think me and you have no do nothing about and do not understand is the second point that brett akamoto made in that article the investors I do not understand the investors. I don't understand why people invest, but it seems like they consistently get investors. And maybe that's the one thing we're overlooking when we're talking about the finances of the PFL, man. Maybe they just have that steady flow of investment and the people investing aren't really looking for any short-term comeback. I feel like that's the point, uh, the topic of PFL that just does not get talked about. Every year we hear about more money, more capital being raised to help grow the PFL brand and where they're going. And I sit back there, I go, at, at some point, these investors want to make back their money. At some point, they're going to want to sit there and make back their money. And, you know, Dana White brought that up during uh, the press uh the post-fight press conference where this was quote, and this is about the PFL quote, what they're doing makes no sense to me. Their business strategy. I'm hearing that they're raising money right now, 283, 300 million. I don't know what the number is from the middle East. And I've done a lot of business uh, in the middle East. Those guys are sharp. What the hell would they give them 280 million? Because I'm hearing they're buying Bellator, right? So you're an organization that's burning cash. You have no ratings, selling no tickets, and you're going to raise $280 million to buy a company that's burning cash, sells no tickets, and does no ratings. It's absolutely effing genius to me. I know how this story ends. I get what Francis is doing. I wish PFL all the luck in the world. I wish him all the luck in the world. It's just not what we do here. And, you know, look, I, I'll say this. Um, there are times we do a show, Daniel. It may be that day next day two days later that you know conversations happen 
based on things I've heard, and I'm, I'm not not trying. I'm just saying based on things I'm hearing, I do not expect Bellator to sell to the PFL. Now, is Bellator likely going to have a, a different owner six months from now, 12 months from now? Most likely, yes. I don't think it's the PFL. Even though as a fight fan, I think if those two organizations merged together, it would make a lot of sense. But one thing Dana White is not wrong about is the fact of the PFL can't sell tickets. The one thing that they have not figured out is how to put butts in the building. And there's a lot of smart sports business people inside the PFL. I think what they need to do is they need to bring in someone who understands the MMA in arena experience. And I understand they want to do a season format, but if you're going to Atlanta, you need to put about four or five local fights on to just put butts in the seats. And and that to me is where PFL doesn't quite understand it. And there's just, it's one of the things that, I mean, I get that, they're just not a, a live gate business at this point, but the rea- Dana's not wrong in what he said. And, and I feel like that's the point that a lot of people haven't talked about. I mean, I know it is easy in what we do to bash Dana White. I get it. It's, it, it's an easy thing to do, but you, you have to admit when he's right. And he is, at, you know, Bellator can sell tickets. So he's wrong on that aspect. Bellator can sell tickets, but right now PFL has not proven that they have the ability to put butts in the seats. Yeah, you're totally right on that. And and he is too in his criticism. When you're looking at it from the perspective of does this make any logical business sense? The answer is no, not really. From France's point of view, it makes a whole lot of sense. He got everything he wanted. He's going to fight easier quality opponents. But from the PFL, no, it doesn't make much sense. I will say that the in-arena experience isn't to me a big priority at all. it's, It's nice revenue. But if you're a sport, it, it's all about the the um, the big TV deal you can theoretically sign one day. That's going to keep you afloat, right? For All Elite Wrestling, it was that massive TV deal they signed with Turner that made them secure years ago. So if you're a TV sports property, I really do believe, Jason, that that is low on anybody's priority list. And And yes, you can make some money off tickets especially when you don't have a good TV deal financially where you're getting paid good money for your product. But I do think, Jason, when all these people are meeting and they're thinking about how they can make this business really successful, that is the one, two, and three goals is a long-term TV deal like the UFC got from ESPN where they can put on just some fights, as Ben Folks likes to say, and cash in big time. I think the second thing is going to be the pay-per-view that the PFL is focusing on. But clearly, if they cared about live event, they would be doing what you're saying, using the prelims by putting on local talent that sell tickets to sell people because maybe some of their stars aren't household names quite yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I just feel, And I feel like you probably agree with me in that the prioritization of things, but you're just pointing out that it doesn't hurt to improve the live ticket sale aspect, the live event aspect. It certainly doesn't hurt, and you're not wrong about that. Maybe Francis should have been put in charge of that as well as uh, PFL Africa. Here's also the part that I think people are not talking about. PFL's deal with ESPN, the, the speculation is it's up at the end of this year. 
And this is where, like, I look at Don Davis poking the bear. Even though Dana White, he was asked about by Amy Kaplan yesterday in an interview. Dana White, you know, didn't have anything bad to say about him. But, Daniel, we've we've been down this road. We've been down this road of when Dana White, when you start poking the bear, at some point, the bear is going to fire back. And I, I look at it, and look, Don Davis has done this with trying to poke the bear with Scott Coker. And you know, Scott's just not going to respond now. Scott, you know, in an interview, he might throw a little little subtle dig in there, but he's just not going to respond. And I, I've said this here on the show, like, PFL, there's people in Bellator that know your skeletons. When it comes to the World Series of Fighting slash PFL, you, you probably should watch what you say because people know your skeletons. But it, it's... I don't I don't get why Don Davis wants to try to poke that bear because, look, it's not – we've seen this story, not going to end well for him. But Francis Ngannou, I mentioned about his Twitter rebuttal to Dana White. I mean, it, I mean, it was – I mean, A-plus. I mean, just tremendous response. I don't know whether Francis wrote this or someone wrote it for him. Whoever wrote it, kudos, where he says, what's your problem with me? One, I completed my contract, was a free agent, chose to walk away. You didn't release me. Two, I hate taking risks. That's why I defended my title to fulfill my contract with no ACL or MCL. Three, the reason I fought three times in three years because you wanted to control my deal and sign a new one and freeze me out. I owe these guys three fights a year. Isn't that what you say? What happened? I always asked for and never said no to any fight in three years. I'm finally getting paid and respected and have a deal that's fair and equal for all parties. Why are you so against me being free and happy? And that, that last part, why are you so against me being free and happy? Now I'll say this. When we get two years from now, three years from now, I wonder if you go to the PFL in three years and say, do you have any regrets on the Francis Ngannou contract? That's a good question, and I don't know. The answer is going to be completely decided on what happens these next two years. Yeah. It's going to come down to whether or not they can make that Francis contract work for them, whether or not they can promote two to three Francis fights in that time period that make them a lot of money. Jason, that is the difference between regret and looking at it as a turning point. The execution of the situation – the odds are against the PFL to make this work, but they can still do it. But it's unlikely. They cannot shoot themselves in the foot. What you alluded to earlier is something I thought about, and it's very important to talk about today as we're speaking. Jason, what is the most valuable aspect of the PFL right now? Tell me. Television contract. 100%. Who is the major prom partner? With ESPN. That would be the UFC. Who do you think has a lot of influence with ESPN? Dana White in the UFC. Why the hell would you want to piss off Dana when you know he can be a snake sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. All you got to do is listen to Ariel Hawani talk about how Dana in the UFC tried to screw him over time yep. and again. That's just Ariel Hawani. Ariel Hawani's not messing with Dana's pocketbooks. The PFL is messing with the UFC's pocketbooks down the line. The UFC sees the PF could see the PFL as a threat one day. So financially, 
there's an incentive to screw them over. But if you get personal, you get in Twitter wars, you piss off Dana where he starts turning red and he might think about slapping you. He he can screw you over big time with ESPN. It's not like the PFL is this valuable property to the worldwide leader. The worldwide leader has shown a strategy of just putting money down for max deals and cutting the middle tier of their roster right now, right? I believe their plan is to have Pat McAfee, Mike Greenberg, and Stephen A. Smith be the only four, three on-air employees for 24 straight hours. They're like, all right, from eight to eight, it's Pat McAfee. Then from, you know, that's their strategy. That's the, the and so if you're looking at ESPN's strategy, well, they'll maximize, they'll do the max contract with the UFC and say, screw you to PFL because Dana don't like them. So that's a real possibility to bring up. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, that's why I think the next seven months are really going to be interesting to see how this plays out for the PFL is do they get a contract extension out of ESPN? If they do, that is massive for them. You know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, I, I would say speculation out there of if they were not on ESPN, they would go to zone PFL. I'm telling you this right now, if you do that, it's the worst thing you can do because you're going to lose a majority of your audience that is investing in your product just because the zone just is not a place that, I mean, I, I see boxing people talking about it and, and how expensive it is. I'm not a subscriber to zone and um, yeah, I'm not really trying to subscribe to a stream platform. Dude, what places can an MMA promotion go where people will watch? Because I'm telling you right now, it's not the zone. In fact, I don't believe it's Amazon Prime with One FC. I don't think that's an easy enough place for people to watch. You know what? If they if they did get into live sports, Netflix would be number two. That's the only ESPN. I was actually thinking about this last night as I was going to bed. So you know, I'm sick. The ESPN Plus should lease the upcoming season of The Ultimate Fighter to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the only that's one way to get people to watch the ultimate fighter, especially after the McGregor documentary for a short period of time. If you air the upcoming season of the ultimate fighter on Netflix, that's the one way they could possibly get it to pop. But you are 100 percent right, Jason. Netflix to me is the only streaming platform right now that would really pop your product if you were on there, if you were part of the algorithm, if you were part of one of their first live sporting events. That's how you could really get exposure because Netflix is a powerhouse. There are other TV channels where if you're on there, it won't matter. Being on Showtime is not working for Bellator. Ugh. It just is not working for Bellator. Dude, I I have Showtime via Paramount Plus, and if you do not watch it live, it's like you're waiting days for it to be available on demand. And, and like I know we we've talked about this, but in the past, the the beautiful thing about ESPN Plus is like. Once the fights are over, man, it's available on demand. And they got that thing broken down by fights. Now, look, the only time, the only bad part when it's broken down by fights is when you see how long that video is, you know exactly what likely happened in that fight. But they need to change that. They need to change that big time because I already know it's going to be a decision. I get pissed off. Or I know it's going to be a decision, but there's two fouls involved because it's 24 minutes. And they really need to give you an option to where you can hide the time because it does spoil it. Yeah, no, but it, it's, and that's like, I mean, like, and we've talked about this. I mean, like, Bellator has the second best roster in mixed martial arts. P- 
PFL has the, but has a much better television platform. And, you know, the one thing, and and I saw one of the guys from typology talking, uh, uh, tweeting about this the other day of just, you know, belt or just doing less and less events. And there is, I mean, look, I, there's zero buzz out there for Bellator. I mean, I'll tell you, the card they have coming up on August 11th is a solid fight card. Logan Storley versus Brand Ward is going to headline that one. Um, Bellator, I know you listen. I am shocked you put Brand Ward and Dalton Rasta on the same fight card together. Just saying, those two guys don't exactly get along. So you might want to have those some extra guys. security. You might want to have some extra security around to make sure nothing happens in Sioux Falls. But uh, that that's the August 11 fight card Bellator's putting together is an absolutely uh, an interesting one there. Um, you know, one of the things I, I did want to talk about is, is media bias. And look, we all have bias. It, it would be it would be wrong for me to say I'm not biased on certain things, but I saw something on, on Twitter and, and it's from a guy that I think does a, a lot of great reporting on the regulatory side and, and Eric McGracken. And he had this thing about uh, the tweet was Colorado going to share their stats for knees to a grounded fighters for allowing one to host an event with that rule set. And he goes, will be interesting. And he said, and then he goes on to say, a lot of commissions gave Colorado a hard time for greenlighting this. This is a good move by the commission, sharing the actual data, solid transparency. So I respond, transparency is always a great thing, but the reality is Colorado was commission shopped. If UFC or Bellator did this, what's the narrative? Shocking, no response. And look, and I think Eric is very good at what he does, but he has so much bias towards the executive director of the Colorado Commission that he can't accept the fact that Colorado did something that no other state would do and adopt the one championship rule set. And it's just like, if you, like, I know we've talked about this before, Daniel, but if the URC or Bellator did that shit, could you imagine what the outrage would be? on every MMA website. Yeah, it would certainly be different. It would certainly be different. And I mean, it would be a lot more because the UFC matters a lot more than the Look, one, one FC. But I'm, I'm, the other thing is like, what's up? I'll say this. Tony Cummings, I do not believe will be the executive director at some point in Colorado, because at some point the mayor of Denver or the Colorado governor is going to go, why is the UFC not coming here? And then they're going to learn why. And then magically, I think you'll see a new regulator in the state of Colorado. Because that is what happened with one championship is the reason the UFC and Bellator will not go to the state of Colorado. I mean, we, we all know the history of the UFC and Denver. At some point, someone in politics is going to go, Hold on. This is the reason we can't get a UFC event to bring in all this tax revenue into our state. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, don't get distracted by the idea of transparency whenever you are just clearly commission shopped. And it's a different conversation to should, as a whole, should the unified body allow knees to a grounded opponent versus kind of throwing kind of leaving the unified body leaving your fellow state commissions in the dust to get chopped by one fc that's the difference that's the conversation we're having here not whether or not needs to ground an opponent are legal because 
maybe they should be legal. I don't think it's that crazy, but it's a matter of uh, of changing to changing the norm to get this done in your state. That is what the issue is, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's also of. You should pick up the phone and have a conversation with Mark Ratner before you start making these type of decisions because Mark Ratner's an OG when it comes to the regulatory side of this sport. And it's, you know, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the podcast. One championship was going to go to Hawaii. They were told you were going to have to use utilize unified rules of MMA. They were going to do that. That was in 2019. And I'm telling you, I know for a fact one championship was calling multiple commissions throughout the United States, and Colorado was the only one. And, and that's just, to me, it's like, it's great to have this transparency. It's great to have those statistics. Let's have the conversation about knees to a ground opponent. But, like, you said the other week, at the end of the day, this is combat. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. Yeah, there's no safe thing. And it's why the slap fighting was so stupid. And and in the slap fighting, I mean the UFC went to Nevada and they just, you know, they just so, bullied so you, them. You're not you're not popping on Rumble tonight to watch Slap Fight Two or Power Slap Two? I am not doing that. I think they, I dude, would they rather. have oh god, they have a super heavyweight fight tonight. Do, do I call it fight? Is that what I should do it? No. I look I, I I I can tell you. Will I be watching? No. But it's a super heavyweight. Like, I get it. One guy weighs over four hundred pounds. The other one weighs like three eighty or something. Um, yeah, one of the dudes was eating a butterfinger as he weighed in. So oh I'm, I'm trying to find it. I know Amy Kaplan has because she was uh, she was covering it. Okay, we have Dane Vernas at three hundred and sixty-seven pounds. Taking on uh, cash, slap for cash. I guess because this guy's name is called four hundred and sixty-one pounds. Oh my god! I watched the hype video of these two big guys, but then Rumble just gave my computer a virus. So, <laughs> I, I you know, look, it, it's uh, it, it's going to be intriguing to see. Kind of, I, I'm you know, it, it's not you know. I, I'm watching Amy's interview with, with Dana, and I had to, like, I kind of chuckle the fact that they're talking about the coin toss. They talk about how, you know, you want to win the coin toss, so you go first. But the last event, everyone who won the coin toss lost. Well, that's a rant. I mean, I feel like, yeah, you want to go first. No, I'll tell you, the, fun, the funniest thing, did you see the um, – the thumbnail that MMA fighting had for uh, Dustin Poirier for his appearance. I, on, um, I saw someone comment. So he goes, his earbuds look like he's getting ready to go into power slap. I'm like, I can't. It, it just looks like he's got like two just huge uh, cotton balls <laughs> in his ears. Oh my gosh. No, I didn't see it. I didn't see it, but, uh, Oh, look, I'm just glad I'm not seeing power slap content all over the UFC socials now. I'm glad they oh, moved it's still, on. It's still, there. it's still there, bro. It's still there. Oh, it's still there. Uh, you know, the, the other thing on the media is bias. You, you know, the other thing about the media bias thing is um, I was watching the thread that Jedi Goodman had of Eric Hawani talking about the whole Dana 
and, and Francis back and forth. And, you know, and, and I thought Ariel brought up a really good point, but there was that part of me as I'm watching this going, hey, Ariel, are you a little biased for Francis and Ganu? I mean, I, I, I mean, look, we all know, you know, Ariel and Dana aren't exactly going out to ha- dinner, have dinner together. I mean, if they're, if they're having dinner together, one might kill the other. But yeah, I, I just I, I was watching those clips and I was just like, like I get we always we're going to side with the fighter, but I was also kind of like, hey, Ariel, are you are you giving this story a fair shot or? Have you made your mind up on one side, and no matter what Dana White says, you're you're going to to rail on him? Well, yes, Dana is biased against Dana. I mean, excuse me, Ariel is biased against Dana White. Should he be biased against Dana White? Yeah, he probably should, mm-hmm. because again, Dana tried to take away his livelihood. So the thing is. Everybody has bias in this life. We all do. We're oh, all totally. biased. I'm biased towards chick. I'm biased towards chicken wings. But the issue is pretending to not have a bias. And I don't think Ariel pretends to not have a bias, but it's clear that he has a bias against Dana. And again, Dana has given him a great reason to do so. And you know what? Dana has a great reason to have a bias against Ariel at this point. It's 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 an everyday life, but it certainly exists. And Dana, I mean, Ariel certainly has a, a bias against maybe fighters who are negotiating against the UFC, and that's great that he's giving them a platform. So it's important to acknowledge it. But uh, yeah, I, I just think everyone has a bias to pretend like you don't, as you're you're lying to yourself. And the other thing I'll say is I was so wrong when I said the UFC doesn't have power slap everywhere. Holy crap. I went to their website. That's all I see. Power Slap 2. I go to their Twitter, and eight of their 11 last tweets are about Power Slap. That is insane. I'm sorry, and I retract my statement about the UFC not shoving Power Slap down our throats. I I, I apparently have a bias against not realizing that. But you are totally right. Uh, Ariel has a bias, and I, I think just about everyone does. I don't know who is unbiased in this sport. Oh, no, no. We're, we're, you know, look, it's, you know, I I know I'm biased. I mean, but I I think it's, we, we do have to do our best job to try to look at things, you know, down the middle, uh, you know, in terms of this, you know, of course, you know, this week, everyone in the MMA, you know, media industry put on their big J hats this week. And I mean, look, Amy Kaplan does not need me defending her. I'm sorry. I just had no problem with what happened. I really don't. Like, no. I mean, like, look, there is, uh, let's just be honest about it. Ethics and MMA reporting do not exist. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, look, h- how many people in this industry have been paid by a promotion at some point? I have. I was doing writing for Bellator.com. I got, I got checked. I, I got paid by Bellator. A lot of people have done that. And also, it's it's one of these situations of, like, I understand why certain people came at it at a certain way. I get it. But, like, at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, I, it's just not a big deal to me. You know, I just. Look, it, it, uh, it was, this was a stupid story. This is why social media sucks. Stories like this. Should you take $100 from a promoter? I mean, no, probably not. 
He probably shouldn't. He, it's probably, but it's not that big of a deal. It was a funny trivia contest. It wasn't that funny, actually. It was just a trivia contest. She won. She got $100. She didn't get paid to write an article. It was a spur-of-the-moment thing. For there to be so much social media interaction about it and so much judgment for her is awful. And it shows you how in a vacuum people can be inhumane to others. When you look at the way people were talking about her, in, in the comment section, so high on their damn high horse. And I'm mm-hmm. looking, and I'm looking at the, one of the first guys that was talking crap about her. I'm like, oh, really? New York Post. Oh, uh, freaking Edward R. Murrow would, uh, you know, be so proud of that publication. It, it's like everyone on here is role playing as a journalist, right? You know who's a real journalist? The people who are in, in countries that are at war, the people who are covering state and federal government. The people who go into crazy situations, put themselves in there, who investigate people of power, quit role-playing as a journalist just because that's what your professor told you at Syracuse you spent $80,000 for. I wouldn't consider myself a journalist, but maybe I freaking am, right? Uh, maybe I, would, I do I would, spend – I would Well, no, no, not an not an MMA. I'm not an MMA journalist. Oh, okay, but okay. But I do okay, spend 40 okay, hours a week – as a TV news journalist, as a photographer, going all across my area. So I, maybe I know a thing or two about actual freaking journalism, actually going into some scary places, yeah. actually covering migrant deaths, crap like that, actually talking to officials who, who get and, – and that's why this crap pisses me off. These people role-playing as journalists. Get the hell out of here. I'm kind of a journalist, but really I'm not. But I know who real effing journalists are who do real crap. I know people who actually die. I don't know them personally, but I've heard stories of people who die in countries like Russia. Khashoggi killed by the Saudis. That's a real journalist. I, Get I, off your freaking high he, horse. This story pisses me off. Here, here's Edward what I, Murrow okay. would be rolling his grave. If I was in Amy's position, here's what I would have done. I would take $900. And you know what I would have said? <laughs> to every uh, everyone else that's in that media room, hey, let's just go find the nearest bar. Let's just put the $100 down, and let's just have some cocktails on Dana. And when the money's up, the money's up. We can sit there, edit our videos all together, and we can all have a cocktail together. Yeah, put it in the mutual fund. So there's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's I just, not I a don't, bad idea. I, I don't, I just don't, I mean, I get why people are going to sit there, but, like, it's also, like, if you're, if you have an issue with this and you work for a major MMA website, does your company take advertising dollars from the UFC? How is it different? Exactly. Exactly. A hundred percent. Follow the money, as they say in that famous movie, All the President's Men. When I look at the MMA landscape, the people who are really respected as journalists are the people who give me information that the UFC or Bellator or PFL don't want that make me a more informed consumer. John Nash, I consider a great journalist because he processes and reveals information to me that I think is very important that I'm sure the UFC doesn't want the consumer to know. Those are the real journalists in this game. Not people writing puff pieces five times a week to fill a quota. You know, I looked at the people who were criticizing Amy and I looked at their byline and I went through their articles and I didn't think there was gonna be too many Pulitzers handed out for that list of articles. So before you criticize someone for taking $100 at a press conference in a joking manner and hold her at the stake, as the next Stephen Glass. Maybe do some effing reporting. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an MA journalist. I'm just yeah. an MA pundit. I'm just yeah. out here giving get, talking to my friend every week, once a week, about the world of MMA. That's all we do here. But when I see this holier than thou attitude about a topic I actually legitimately care about in journalism, I really love journalism, even though you know who knows how long I may be in this game. But I really do love it, and uh, it, it's annoying. And I also hate the way social media takes things and and dehumanizes things and 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 just make someone as like the court jester of the day. Oh, look at her. Ha ha. She's a, like, like, dude, that's stupid. I hate, I, I hate that about Twitter. I really do hate that about Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and let's be real about it. Anyone who's in that media room, Dana White's good with them being there. If Dana White doesn't want you in that media room, you're not going to be in that media room. Let's just be honest about it. When's the last time Ariel Hawani interviewed Dana White after a UFC event? Been a long time. Well, his famous incident. His, well, well, his famous incident was UFC 199, and it We're was probably ready for UFC 300. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I I will say this: if you told me Dana White was appearing on Ariel's show, I could only imagine how many people would be watching to see what that would be like. All right, like that ha- that has this. to be Ariel's dream guest at this point. Let me ask you, do you believe we'll ever see Dana on Ariel's show in the future? No. 1% chance. I'm going to, dude, I'm going to say yes. I don't know why. This world is crazy. This world is crazy. I'm going to say yes. Screw it. Look, I don't the, know why. Look, at the end of the day, Ariel is the most powerful man in the MMA reporting game. There, there's no question about it. But I just don't think that ever happens. Dana White holds grudges, man. He holds grudges. I know he holds grudges, but he's also promoted fights with people he hated at one point in time. <laughs> you know, things come now, full now circle. Now, if you told me it could be a roundtable of Ariel, Dana, and Hunter Campbell, oh, God, put that thing on pay-per-view. Yeah, that that I would say won't happen. I just feel like Hunter Campbell is like, He's like the Pied Piper. I don't know if the Pied Piper is the right reference, but he just don't talk. He don't put himself out there publicly. Like like Dana's the public face and Hunter's just behind the scenes, you know. It's more, I will tell you because it's happened to me. You just get a phone call from UFC PR. (laughs) uh, There's something you say that uh, (laughs) isn't loved. (laughs) Yeah, there's just a dead fish without it with its head cut off on your phone. Anytime I see a 702 area code number, I'm like, is this UFC called? Did they say yeah. it's been it, it's been it's been a long time since I've gotten that phone call, but yeah, I've got that phone call before. Well, it's, it's not it's not really a comfortable phone call, really. I'm just telling you, not a comfortable phone call. Yeah, yeah, but that's kind of the the influence that they have, man. It really is. But you oh, know, yeah. here we are. But yeah, just to to wrap it up, yes, taking hundred dollars from a promoter, no matter what, is pretty fishy. But it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Just take a chill pill. Now, of course, you know, you knew when a fighter says you only had $7 in the main account, you know the MMA media was going to run with that thing. Oh, yeah. Then Magrimbo saying he only had $7 in his bank account before his fight last weekend. It's just like, it's like you see that, and then you you see the John Nash report, and you just go, God damn, like, like this sport, like this sport, like, you know, 
And uh, and probably the most interesting part of that story is the fact of how much Colby Covington was helping out uh, them, but kind of uh, down at MMA Masters. But uh, but yeah, I I knew it. I was like once he once I saw the headline, I go, oh man, he's going to get a bunch of interviews, and that is going to be the major talking point every. I tell you this right now. If I was, I'm doing some interviews tomorrow. If Thimba was one of my interviews tomorrow, I wouldn't even bring it up. Yeah, because it's oversaturated, right? Everyone's yeah, I mean, already I'm talked like, about I, it. I just, it's it's one of these things of like when you see a fighter go out and do multiple interviews, and you know, it, it's like you know, Tim Elliott's been doing the interviews. You know, I just like, I really don't want to have an interview with Tim Elliott where I'm talking about his marriage going to crap on him. Yeah. Like, that's just not, that's not a fun kind. Anyone who's ever been through marital problems, you you don't want to have, it's not a fun conversation to have. No, it's not. It's not good. It's not a fun convo. And it's like, I don't want to just hop on this interview and talk about that for 25 minutes. But, you know, it is crazy. It's crazy that he fought like three months ago in the UFC and he has $7. That's crazy, right? Like, I know he didn't get paid that much for his first fight. We all do. But that's the craziest part about the story is just that, like, this isn't like his first fight in the UFC. It's a second fight in the UFC. But he also has been fighting for Fury Fighting Championship, too. Like, like again, you hear this story and maybe you hear it because he just debuted, right? Like the way Conor McGregor talked about how uh-huh. he went from, what, welfare to now he, you know, they don't need to talk to him after he beat Marcus Brimage, even though he was fighting in Cage Warriors, which is a significant mixed martial arts promotion. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he only had $7 after his first UFC fight is pretty startling, right? You don't hear about any NBA or MLB or NFL rookies suffering in their bank accounts. Um, so that's that's sad. But yes, somehow the big winner out of this whole situation was Colby Covington, who just seems like a good dude. Yeah, I mean, to look, it, it's, you know, it, it's tough to see that. You know, you're talking about, you know, a, a, an athlete in the biggest combat sports promotion. And, I mean, look, we, we don't know what, you know, how his, his finances have looked, you know, over the last year of, of why he is. But it's also a, a, a thought of, I think, especially for international fighters who come to the United States, that there there is a lot of financial struggles to to make to to chase your dream you know and and the amount of taxes that you're going to pay just to do that but you know you know and maybe you know well, that's people run with a, a a narrative there ain't no doubt about that dude dude yes you're totally right about that and it's a great headline like as soon as you see seven dollars you want to click but that's the thing people don't talk about right okay so you look at well maybe people do talk about it i don't know i don't i haven't talked to every person in the world but you look at how much little a person gets paid on their first fight in the UFC. Taxes takes a whole crap load from that. Yep. Taxes does the 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 cost to get there, the cost that you spend in training camp, the amount of money that you're left over with is very little. And that's how you get from that first UFC paycheck to over a three-month period with $7 in your bank account. Again, three months is not that long to be living in this country. It, you don't spend that much money yep. in three months. 
Oh, I know. I mean, dude, uh, me and you haven't spent that much money in three months. So to get that paycheck from the UFC and to have $7 speaks to how little these people are being paid. And it probably speaks to the cost that Themba has. And it's not like Themba was living this expensive life. He talked about how hard his conditions were in the past fight camp. So, yeah. And who knows? I mean, how much is he going to have for his next fight? Seven, $17? $17 for his next fight? Because it's not like he got the bag against Takashi Sato. It, yeah. Yeah, I, I would imagine that he probably has been taken care of by the UFC to make sure that's not – because, I mean, like, if you're the UFC, this, these are the last stories you want out there. Like, and, and you know if you're Dana, you're, you're Hunter Campbell, you know the media is going to run with this story. And every interview he does is going about it. But, uh, you know, one of the things we teased up last week and kind of in this episode with is UFC 300, which uh, looks like probably April uh, of next year is when this thing's going to happen. And, you know, we threw that last week about, you know, who could potentially be the main event. And I time-wise, I think it could be interest. It could be very easy to say a Conor McGregor fight. You know, saying Connor fights in say November, which seems to be where this thing is heading. It, him headlining that, him and Chandler headlining that show there in MSG. But uh, I went away from Connor in my prediction for the main event. I'm going to say it's, it's going to be a title fight. I'm going to say it's Izzy defending his title. Obviously, the means he's got to get through his title defense there in September down in Sydney. And I'm going to say he defends the middleweight strap. Against Hamzat Chemayev. That's a great fight. That is a fight that is befitting a UFC 300. I I love that. Let's lock that in. Let's see if you were right. I hope that fight happens. That that's a great one, Jason. That's one I'm excited for. I uh, so let's lock that in. I wasn't thinking of that one, but that's a really good one. I'm gonna go with a John Jones fight. I mean, I think the two big names you think of, the three, Izzy, Jones, Connor, those are maybe the three names you look at as the UFC 300 headliner in 2024. Um, and maybe there's someone that doesn't have a championship right now that will be right there, you know? Maybe Jamal Hill will be a bigger star by 2024. And he'll be befitting a UFC 300, you know? Maybe Leon Edwards will continue to go on a run as welterweight champion. Maybe... Maybe Habib will come back and, and fight whoever the lightweight champion is if they the person who dethroned Islam. You know, maybe Cejudo or Alge or Volkanovski. Maybe it's Aljamain Sterling versus Volkanovski at UFC 300. Or maybe it's Aljo versus Jair. Who knows? But I will give you my guess, and we'll lock it in. I'm going to go John Jones heavyweight championship defense. And now I'm just deciding which heavyweight will be in there with him. And... There's a part of me that wants to say Tom Aspinall because I believe he has a great name value and potential. But I'm going to go with the safe pick. I'm going to go John Jones and Sergey Pavlovich will be the main event for UFC 300. It lines up. I don't know anyone who doesn't have a championship that Sergey will not beat until that point in time. And I think Jones beat Stipe, and his next fight will be in March against Sergey. So it seems like the UFC is targeting Jones Stipe for December. Would Jones turn around that, that quick? I didn't realize that. That's screwed. That's screwed. They're, they're, he's not going to fight till December. That's what the target is. Yeah. I mean, if Dude, you if you look sucks. at it, if you look at it, you've got the September pay per view is in Australia. 
October mm-hmm. pay-per-view is in Abu Dhabi. I, I would I would doubt they would put Jones in an Abu Dhabi card just because from a, a gate aspect. Now, Abu Dhabi might pay enough money for Jones to be there, so maybe that is in October. But it seems to me the thought process is that November is headlined by Connor and Chandler, and then December headlined by Jones and, and Stipe, which part of me does wonder if that fight ever truly does come together. Maybe he just waits until March to fight Sergey. Maybe that's what happens. Uh, damn, that's a long time, dude. That's a long time to see another Jones fight. But the way you're throwing it down, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I mean, you think uh, about, you know, I mean, I think your best case scenario in Jones is for the most part you're, you're likely thinking he fights two times a year. But I, I, I wonder after the Stipe fight, like, Outside of, of of financial payday, what what gets John Jones excited? Yeah, the only thing that can get him excited is just the idea of continuing his legacy, of just adding on to his. He's already the goat, and it's going to be a very long time till someone threatens him, a long, long time. But uh, it's just the idea of loving the sport and mixed martial arts and wanting to continue to to compete. But yeah, there isn't a whole lot of motivation. There aren't that many opponents. I mean, there are some opponents, but they don't have the name value. Again, Almeida, Aspinall, Pavlovich. These up-and-coming heavyweights are exciting challenges for John Jones, but they don't have the name value, I think, to get him out of bed. So that's that's the flip side of the equation. Let me yeah. let me ask you this. Right. Let me ask you this talking about John. Let's say Habib Nurmagomedov was the same size of John. In their prime, who would win a fight? From their skill set alone, Habib or Jones? I would I would favor Jones just because I think he's a better martial artist in terms of the you know mixing everything together. You know, I think the yeah, you know, it, I mean I think you know in the last fights that we saw with Habib, we we definitely saw the improvements in the striking game. I mean, and we all know his grappling is you know next world. But to me, the the thought, the, the struggle I always had with Habib was the the general thought process of, you know, the the striking game. Yeah, you're right. Jones is more multidimensional, and I probably would pick John. Habib has that clear game plan. Like I'm just going to put your ass on your back, mm-hmm. and I don't. And Jones is just he's a phenomenal fighter, a phenomenal defensive wrestler. But I don't know if there's anyone on this planet that can keep Habib from doing what he wants to do. So that's why that fight would be interesting. But, yeah, I was just thinking about that. That's why it's the best skill set to come into mixed martial arts with. I know. It's been, like, the best skill set since 1997. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you have the ability to put someone on their back at any moment, you know, I mean, it's great to have that knockout ability, but if you can't stop a takedown, you know, I mean, it's I – mean, we, we can go throughout the history of MMA and, and look at somebody who was very talented, but – they couldn't stop a takedown. A hundred percent. You know, hundred percent. You know, and if you, and if you don't have that that ground ability, I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be a long night for you. Um, you yeah. know, that's that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, and I think Jones probably has that ability to stop it, but if there's one guy who couldn't stop, it might be Habib. Dude's got the best takedowns I've seen since George St. Pierre. Yeah. By the way, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, I was watching the Don Davis interview with uh, on Barstool. 
kind of talking mm-hmm. about you know who could be France's opponent. And uh, you know, one one thing he mentioned, he's like, "Hey, we got nine months to figure out who it's going to be." Um, I feel like they've got something up their sleeve, but maybe it's a pipe dream that they're trying to to pull off here to try to create buzz. What's and the, I have no what idea what that. The, the only thing I could think of was is they're Mark talking Fessner. to a boxer. That's the, that's the only thing that makes sense to me that they've got a boxer who's willing to take an MMA fight. Like Tyson Fury. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, if you got a Tyson Fury to do an MMA matchup against Francis, that would create a lot of buzz on pay per view. Yeah, I agree with you. But I don't Maybe think Tyson Fury, I don't think Tyson Fury's doing it for two million dollars. <laughs> Good say you got to add a zero, at least one zero to that equation. Twenty million dollars. I think you're right. I think you're right. But you know, uh, that would that would make money on pay per view. Maybe Deontay Wilder. But I, I, I will tell you the one thing that when I was listening to the interview that um, that I really liked with Don Davis, he, he was talking about how he, he's built businesses throughout the years. And, and he said, he goes, you know, the one thing he goes, one thing I've learned is you got to give the consumer what they want. And you can, you can definitely like, you know, I, I think he was being vague in, in certain ways, but it was also this way of him understanding like, look, we have to put someone across the cage from Francis that's going to get people excited. And I don't know who that is because, I mean, you can go down the list of, of potential names Fabricio Verdum, Junior of Santos, Ben Roth. I'm, I'm just throwing out names that are more realistic than others because I don't think the UFC is going to let any heavyweight go at this point. To help the, the, that would benefit the PFL, you've got whoever wins this heavyweight tournament. Like, I, I hope the PFL can do something that gets us excited. I really do. I mean, because we. we but I'm that. telling you, I'm telling you, Maurice Green, that's my pick. John Jones training partner, that's the story. Don't it's put just, that. You know, I, I look, look. I would love to see Maurice Green it. get that payday. Um. That will not do well on pay per view. You're probably right, but you know, I just I just want to put that in the universe. You know, I saw it, I saw it in the stars. Green screen is going to go on this run. It's going to, yeah, but yeah, Here, we'll do good on pay per view now. Here's the other thing I brought somebody else over the past couple of days, and, and this is, to me is why it is a smart business move by Francis Ngannou to have the boxing matchup first before he makes his PFL debut. Because if the MMA debut was first in PFL, if he were to lose that fight, the boxing payday is gone. It don't exist. Mm-hmm. I also yeah. wonder, I, I do want, I long time away from competing in MMA, it really makes me wonder about what, what's that knee recovery been like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know yeah, heavyweights he, fight, heavyweights fight later in their career, Daniel, but man, you know, he'll be 37 years old by the time he makes his PFL debut. Yeah. That knee is just the foundation of so much that you do as a, as an athlete. Oh, I'm, I, it's important. Like, look, if you told me Jones and Ghana was going to fight in 2024, you think Jones is not going after that knee right from the start to test it out? Yeah. And even more so than testing it out, 
wrestling with him to test him out, right? That knee's got to be utilized to defend the takedown. And that's the, the easiest avenue for Jones to put away Francis or anyone to put away Francis is to put him on his back. And, and so more so than throwing a leg kick at that knee, testing the ability of that knee to sprawl, to, to defend. I mean, that's the, the key component for Francis because his weapons are his hands. Mm-hmm. He can't throw him off his back. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it's it'll be interesting to see what is the next big fish the PFL can land. Probably they got their big Diaz, fish we'll in Francis, but who is that next big fish they could potentially land? I think Nate Diaz. If they if they landed Nate, this would be what I would do if I was PFL. I'd create a hundred sixty five pound weight class. It's a good idea. You know, Don Davis compared himself to Netflix, and that was kind of crazy. But I, 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 Netflix, I get what I don't he's get getting it. at. Well, what, I mean, what he's, here's what, the thing. What he's basically saying is back in 2008, Blockbuster did not see Netflix as competition. And I think that he's relating it to 2023, where he believes UFC does not view the PFL as competition. I guess that's true, I guess. But the difference is, like, Netflix invented a whole new thing. Netflix invented streaming basically. There's no there PFL is not inventing a new whole thing. I, I was thinking about this the other day, okay? In my house, I've got this big entertainment center and it is full of DVDs. When is the last time you watched a DVD? The only time I can remember is when I worked in city government, the HR made me use a DVD so I could burn it into a video file for HR <laughs> training. Cause I worked in the media, I worked in the media department. That's the only time. And before that, Jason, I couldn't tell you. The, the last time I put a DVD in was I would take my niece and nephews to universal and they like men in black. And so I'm going around all these streaming platforms and none have men in black. I was like, I gotta have that DVD somewhere. I, I found it. And, uh, like I didn't use my, I, I, I didn't use a DVD player. I used the Xbox to be able to watch it. Yeah, I don't have a DVD player. I have a PS4 that I would use. That's it. The video game system is the DVD mm-hmm. player now, and I, I never use it, but uh, now they just serve as decoration. They look cool, but, you know, maybe it's a good idea to have DVDs. You know, you never know when the Internet's just going to go up in flames and just everything Dude. we uh, – think will be there forever is gone like look i've been around long enough this sport when a i remember when prelims weren't aired i remember when ufc put prelims on facebook mm-hmm. been around this game a long time like but like you're, you're right i mean yeah netflix completely changed the way we consume video content and that's why they were so successful. So the PFL wants to be the Netflix of, of, of uh, this world. They need to change the way we consume mixed martial arts. But, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, right? The mixed martial arts hasn't really – combat sports has not been reinvented for 200 years. Combat sports is really simple, whether it be boxing, kickboxing, MMA, professional wrestling. Give me the most interesting fight, and I will watch. That is the mm-hmm. business model. No doubt. The and, most interesting fight. There's been no reinvention other than that aspect. 
and that's what Don Davis talked about. You know, he's like, hey, you got to give the consumer what they want. I, but I just think, unfortunately, most times in combat sports, as a consumer, we don't necessarily always get the fight we want. And, that, and that's the tough thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always say this. Like, look, the UFC is in the quantity business. You know? They're, they're trying to put on 40-plus events a year, and they're going to put on a fight card, you know, 42 uh, you know weeks a year, and – Every fight car cannot be a fight car that gets you excited, but they're go- they're going to keep you know spinning out content. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we uh, we all know their business model is now kick ass on pay per view and have a lame apex card and have a halfway decent fight night card when you get out of the apex. And let's see, I'm looking at the schedule. We have two apex cards on the horizon, um, but then after that, they go back on the road at their first event in in Jacksonville with uh, UFC on ABC, Emmett, Deporia. Then they go back to the Apex. Dude, they are going back to the Apex so much. This sucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally, as you, as you were thinking that, I was literally going, I was like, okay. when I was like, I remember the Jacksonville event. There's a, I believe, in the beginning of There's August, they're going event. to Nashville. Yeah, they've got a uh, London event. I, I, I don't think they've offi- I don't think they've officially announced the Nashville one, but I want to say it's like August third, maybe. Let me see. Um, okay, well, so it's probably August fifth, but they haven't officially announced the uh, location for okay, UFC yeah, Fight yeah. Night two twenty five. Yeah, I believe that's Nashville. Um, okay, well, so that's in August. So from now until August, there's only two non UFC pay per views that are outside of the apex. There's like four or five that are in the apex and, you know, a couple pay-per-views in between. Yeah. But I'll say it is weird that on Saturday we have no UFC to watch. That is, it is weird. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, I get it. I get it's a holiday weekend, but it's like, like, man, you got no UFC, you got no Bellator, you got no PFL. Like what the hell? Oh, I guess I'm supposed to live a normal life on Saturday. Yeah, you're going to live a normal life, and I'm going to watch pro wrestling. We have a big AEW pay-per-view this Sunday that I'm excited for. But you, uh, you got, got, the WWE car, you got the WWE uh, event in uh, Abu Dhabi or, or Saudi Arabia. Oh, dude, those I don't care about. It's just, it's just I don't care about those. They're just so, like, the, the ones in Saudi Arabia just feel like they're in, like, another universe for WWE. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what's on that card, but I, maybe I'll watch it. Uh, let's see. Is Brock Lesnar on that card? Uh, we, I, uh, I think we'll say they're doing Brock and Cody, I want to say. They're doing Brock and Cody? Okay, I'll watch that. I'll watch Brock and Cody. But, yeah, I wasn't even uh, aware, man. You're more on WWE than I am. I need to get I need to get. Well, on it's also you know, one, of, one of the restaurant properties I'm with. We we do air the WWE premium events. So it's I kind of have to know. Uh, who, who's gone on the card and, you know, obviously promoting it inside our building. I can't even find a match card for this thing. Well, they're doing um, Roman and um, Solo against uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. I think that's the main event. Mm-hmm. I... Uh... Outside of that, I couldn't tell you anything else about the card. <laughs> Could Dude, I tell you anything yeah. else? I'm stunned. Like I'm doing a good like Google search, and I just I can't find anything about it. 
Like I'm literally googling. Is it a different name than Crown Jewel? Uh, yeah, it's um, what's it? Night of Champions. Is it Night of Champions? Champions? Yeah, Night of Champions. Night of Champions. Oh no wonder. Let's see. Now I can find this son of a gun. So yeah, the Jetta Superdome. What do they got? They got Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. Now we're talking. That tag match, Seth Rollins and AJ Styles, Mustafa Ali and Gun. Look, if you're a WWE fan or a professional wrestling fan, it's a pretty damn good card. I'm gonna be honest with you. I might actually watch it now that uh, you you got WWE a viewer, man. Congratulations. You know, I'm excited for this and, card. This and, is a and, good card. Every match looks good. Yeah, and it's an afternoon card, so you don't need to be up late at night. Yeah, my girlfriend's out of town, so I have a lot of alone time to watch dudes. <laughs> Shirtless dudes get after it. It seems like a, a fellow's weekend. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Yeah, I might invite some of my friends over to watch the pay-per-views. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I, I, have, I, have, yeah I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> I have an idea. Pro- probably, I don't know what you... Probably a lot of relaxing, that would be my guess. <laughs> I have no idea what you'll be doing, but I know you'll be drinking. Yeah, I, I enjoyed a few uh, a few beverages last night at the Rays game. I mean, they got their ass hand to them, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. You know, very very expensive, very expensive to uh, get a beer at a baseball game. But yeah, you know, that's why we, it's worth it. It's yeah. totally worth it. Exactly. Your bank account. Yep, 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 yep. You know, as long as there's money in that bank account, you know. As long as I got more money than the Grimbo's seven dollars, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about myself. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we never want to be in that. I got seven dollars in my bank account line, but uh, but as always, we appreciate <laughs> everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. I will have a podcast coming on Sunday. I got a couple of interviews that I'm doing tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. And of course, me and Dan will be back here next week to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. <laughs>